The following podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Please always seek a registered financial advisor for any investment advice. To say you simply flooded the system with money. Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money. 600000 doesn't seem like that much to possibly lose. Why do you care about getting your money back? My mother taught me something. If you ever disrespect money, you won't have any. It's karma. I, every dollar I make, I kill myself to make it, and I don't want to lose it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 69 of Pounding the Table. And how fitting of a name that might be, because the markets have been topsy-turvy, to say the least, going tops and bottoms back and forth. Tony, great job on calling the bottom a few weeks ago. And now I'm hearing a little bit of Tony Tops come through. So we'll be touching on that. And Joey, of course, has a few other ideas up his sleeve. So very important episode coming your way, to say the least. This episode, we will be touching on the state of the markets after running, of course, the past few weeks, as just mentioned, talking a little bit about the crypto reversal, touching on housing data, what's going on with gas, the pumps, and where does the SPX go from here? Most importantly, we're going to touch on the mindset of how do you handle kind of everything that happens in a volatile market. But as always, got to start off with the stock twits trending tickers of the week our favorite place to go every single day to check out what is trending in both stocks and crypto. So Joey, let's have you started off here last Monday. Upstart's been trending the past month. It's been up 43%. And of course, had a great week last week. And I know you wanted to touch on that a bit here. We've talked about Upstarts a couple of times in the last couple of episodes because they always seem to have some sort of headline. So this one's been an absolute bloodbath since it reached its peak back around like $400 per share. And they released preliminary results for the second quarter in, I think, early July that, you know, was a a big disappointment and the stock took a beating. And then we get this actual earnings release and it, it was disappointing to say the least. And what really got people was their outlook on the third quarter, which was, it was absolutely dismal. They're calling for, you know, revenue of $170 million and an an adjusted and unadjusted net loss. So when you're talking for a company that just did $228 million in the second quarter, like revenue is essentially going the wrong way. And, you know, people were really worried about them having loans on their balance sheet and going into a difficult time, you know, a recession since we've hit two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, that people just don't want to take on unnecessary risk. So, you know, Upstart originally reacted by just plunging after hours. I know the stock was halted for a little bit as their release came out, but it surprisingly rebounded. And it's actually, yeah, ended the week in, in positive territory. So that was surprising. I thought this thing was destined to go to the teens, but even though the performance was great and I, I like reevaluated the stock and everything, it's still not one that I want to touch because there are such great names out there that you don't need to chase you know, speculative positions, especially, you know, ones that aren't performing, you know, up to snuff with the rest of the market. I couldn't have said that better myself, Jerry. I mean, and that leads us right into another stock that's on the stock towards trending tickers, the TTD. And that's something that we've talked about on here a lot. It's just like, look at the highest quality sectors and then look at the highest quality names within each of those sectors, because it's pretty freaking clear. Like, right. We've talked about this so many times, but I want to just pound it, pound the table in like so many people's heads about Markets like this is exactly when you can tell what's the next runners and what are the next, you know, quote unquote, 
like semi uh, Amazon, Googles and, and Microsofts of the world, right? Like things have tiers and how good they are. And obviously upstart is shit, just objectively. Like you can see that it's just like, you know, we're, we're in, in a quote unquote recession, depending on if you're Biden or not, but like we're in a recession and you're seeing things that are like, you know, $2,000 average rents around the world. And like, obviously buy now, pay later loans for everything. Like those things are in a tough situation right now because, you know, Americans' credit cards are like insane. And you look at the number of startups that just recently got created in the last two years. I think like it's up, up like something like 40 to 50% in the number of like at-home small businesses, which is all just people building and selling and creating things from their homes. So you got all these different crazy expenses that came out of COVID and you're seeing all these loans getting diddled right now. And, and it's it's no surprise, honestly. I mean, the, the, the actual economy and the way that the markets run are always different. Joey, I, I want to circle back here on Trade Desk, though. It's up a casual 80% here the past month. And usually when I see a chart that goes straight up, you know, you've seen this time and time again, it goes straight down right after. And I don't really see a company that big, that powerful going up 80% in a month very often. So what are your thoughts here on where TTD can go from here? Trade Desk was caught up in this like perfect crap storm of advertising. So what happened was, you know, Snapchat comes out and just scared everybody out of this market. And then you have Roku come out and do the same thing. So you saw everyone and their mother that, you know, focused on this space trying to say, well, you know, Roku and Snapchat are a perfect read through to Trade Desk. So that's one that just kind of got brought down with the rest of the group. And then they actually report earnings and they were incredible. Like they were better than everybody expected. Their outlook was strong. So it's one of those where it's kind of like they got beaten down for no reason. And then the market had to put it back where it was, and then give it its premium valuation that it deserved based on its performance. So that's something that Tony and I have been talking about a lot lately is even as this market's been running, we're talking, okay, let's find those laggards that have catalysts on the horizon, which usually is earnings. And then we're even going deeper there, you know, what's the best of the best? Who could surprisingly have some short interest that you wouldn't expect for a high quality name like that? Because then you could really get those outsized moves. But yeah, with Trade Desk, it's one of those where they were beaten down for no reason. And then when they came out and shocked the world with those incredible results, it was just absolutely off to the races. I think the one day jump after earnings was like 35%. It was, it was breathtaking. Yeah, I just want to add another thing to that too, because it's so important to like delineate between why things are going up. And I know Avi was like, you know, talking about it went straight up. Is it something that like we should be very cautious about? But one thing I think people need to really understand, especially in markets like this, like we talk about the rising tide raises all boats and the, the, you know, the lowering tide shows you what's left on the beach that's still worth something. This is one of the situations where things can get repriced, especially because things have become so volatile up and down that you can see like, hey, that buying was clearly not just like a joke, right? Like that, that was real buying and that was also real short covering. And that's another thing, like this beach ball, quote unquote, effect that we're getting of like companies reporting earnings that are not that bad and not that great, like Datadog, for example. And then they just start edging upwards because all the differences have moved around. And if you look at, you know, something like the trade desk, or you look at something like Mealy, who's like ran a lot and, and Net, who's holding, those are quality companies getting repriced in a more fair valuation for how the fact that they haven't gotten crushed in these terrible conditions. And so you should pay attention to that because it doesn't necessarily mean it'll go back to 40. In fact, I think it's very unlikely. I think that that's telling you, like, like I said, this is where you see the new leaders of the market and whichever ones are doing that are very good chance to be those. Yeah. And then trade desk, I was just looking too, because 
I forgot that they had that 10 to one stock split. So that's something to factor in, of course, when you're looking at the price here, because uh, it's still, I mean, it's 74 back in March of 2020, it's low as like $16. So it's still been ripping. I mean, from here though, you think it's, you still see this as one of the strong companies that's going to continue despite it popping up. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it could come back down and settle in, especially as the market, like the market continues to go higher too. You have to understand that in the context. But like, what I think is that like that pop to earning that, that gap, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be one of those, like it's going to completely fill the gap and then die, right? Like Mealy went over a thousand on the earnings, went under for one day and then pop right back up to almost 1100. So like the really quality names with the incredibly quality earnings, especially like Mealy was a phenomenal report. Those things are, are are getting the love they deserve because as we talked about, where are you going to invest in Europe or this or that or whatever? And you know, you're going to invest in quality US stocks because, you know, it's still as much as everything's quote unquote unsafe, it's safer here. Another one that's been going crazy is uh, Unity Software up 73% the past month. Before Tony takes this one, so I want to kind of give you a lead up into this. So Unity had a very interesting week, you know, going into their earnings results because Applovin, another company very similar in the space, came out and made this unsolicited offer for Unity. And I think it came out to like $58 and change for the stock. So it's almost like that sandbag Unity's performance because it couldn't do what it really wanted to do until management came out and said, yeah, no thanks. We're not going to you know, sell out at this cost because, you know, even I, when I saw the report come across... I, I send in our group chat and I was like, man, Unity is selling out for 58 bucks. Like, it's incredible to see them give up so early. And especially, you know, that acquisition price, given where the stock's been in the past, regardless of the slowdown in their growth. So yeah, the management had to come out and almost say, no thanks, we don't want to take that and then get back on their roll. But yeah, then earnings came out and things looked better. But I'll send it back to Tony now since he's been all over this one over the last three months now. Yeah, I mean, I've been just watching it and waiting for it to finally pop up. Like, I know that whether or not people think companies are good, this or that or whatever, like those are completely different things than whether a stock will go up. And so like you have certain names, even like Coinbase, right? For example, like people thought it was dead when it was at cash value and that's up like 100% from the lows and just partnered with BlackRock. And so like Unity is like a good example of a company that came out during the craze and went crazy and didn't have enough time like previously, like enough historical time of reports and this and that for people to actually know where it's going, right? So you look at the range of like 200 down to 30, like it's insane. But once again, it's not like that super high profitable, really great, easy growing company. So we have the issue of like delineating what bucket it should fall into. And so you have like what just, you know, came out recently, all this like stuff that's like keeping the stock up and not letting it go down. And so you kind of look at this four month range on the chart where it hasn't been able to go over 50 and now it's at 58, right? And, and then same with ARC, right? Like we talked so many times about how all the names track together because it's the same people shorting and the same people longing and it's all the same. It's all, you know, if you have 10 players in a room, you can think of it like that because in your mind, there should only be like a couple players in the market. And that's really the way that I think we're, we're kind of seeing the beach ball effect happen because as soon as Unity reported, they got that little bit of news it was able to finally break out of that range. And now we're seeing it actually trend properly. Like, do I think it could be one of those that extends a lot? Potentially, it's a very liquid stock and you've seen it do it to 200 already, but we'll have to wait and see. I was just looking on stock twist to see what people are saying on, on Unity. And they were talking about, was it Iron Horse, Iron Cloud that they're merging with potentially? So Unity is acquiring Iron Source as you know, a way to basically bolster their position in the market because... Iron Source has an incredible 
position in this market where you know you turn your apps and games into full-on businesses so they help you monetize greatly and amongst other things so unity is acquiring iron source but then when app lovin came in to acquire or at least you know make this unsolicited offer for unity part of their deal was well you have to walk away from the iron source deal mm. and it was it was very interesting to see because you know if app lovin and unity got together it would create a beast however i also think the same of unity you know using the almost like failed SPAC merger of iron source to scoop this business on the cheap and maybe they could integrate it better and you know then it wouldn't really have that SPAC stink on it but yeah it's very interesting to kind of see what those two are doing but i think that's why iron source was trending because app lovin was telling unity well, hey, to get with us, you have to walk away from them. Yeah. The other one uh, I was going nuts is my baby, Jumia. I think forever that will be my little lion here. Full disclosure, I don't own any shares anymore of that. But it's one of those stocks I just, you knew it was a matter of time. I think we were actually just talking about this on the podcast, that it felt like it was just time again. But I, that's just going to happen, I think, with with Jumia. It's not a stock that I want to get back in fully, but it's one that I'll always watch, I think. And it just seems like one of those companies that's going to pop up then slowly dwindle down, then have another big pop. You'll hear some news or rumors or whatever. But I know Amazon's now going into Africa themselves. And I always thought that was the acquisition play. Well, so yeah, I followed Jumia very closely for a long time. And yeah, I did end up selling out entirely. I forget when, you know, made a little bit of money on it. It was it was one of those that went absolutely ballistic after the COVID, you know, I guess big COVID dip in March 2020. But yeah, this company, it's just not one that has the right financial profile and risk profile in this market. It's not something that you really need to take that risk on. And then, yeah, a big thing is, you know, if you want exposure to the African market, now you can get it by Amazon since they are going to expand in African countries, they says, including South Africa and Nigeria in 2023. And you know, they're going to target all the biggest and best markets in Africa. And Amazon will not have the issues that Jumi has run into in its first couple years of operation, I guess, there. So, yeah, it's one of those where if you really want exposure to it now, you can get it, you know, using the absolute monster that is Amazon. Yeah, I mean, they could probably just hire away some of the top operations folks to as soon as they want to. Easily. A hundred grand more, they're going to jump over for, you know, of course. Speaking of uh, the little lion and and Disney, right, Joey, that's one that you absolutely have been slamming and pounding the table on, I guess, the past few weeks too. And it has been ripping another big company that's been crushing it recently. This is one that it's just been absolutely obliterated by this market. So I was looking back, you know, it's 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 highs were, you know, over 200. And this thing gets under 100 that you look at the enterprise value, everything about this company is just screaming incredibly undervalued. And I know we, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Like this is the ultimate kiss stock the keep it simple, stupid. Like everybody knows what Disney does. And it's incredible to think, you know, that market cap compared to, you know, even the value of their real estate. And then you look at Disney plus, which, you know, this raged because their earnings were so strong. I mean, they reported incredible growth. They reported 14.4 million ads to Disney plus. Which when you think, you know, Netflix has lost, I think they lost 900,000 last quarter and they've lost like a million this year in total. Well, Disney Plus just rages on. Then they give their new outlook, which is slightly lower than originally expected. But, you know, they're going to have 215 to 245 million subs on Disney Plus by 2024. So you think Disney Plus launched in 2019 
and they're set to be the size of Netflix in five years. You know, Netflix streaming launched in 2007. So Disney has done this so quickly. And this kind of goes back to what we originally talked about, where content is king in streaming. So Netflix was that disruptor where they launched the streaming service. They're like, hey, here we are. Give me all of your content. And then over time, Disney and all these other operators realized, well, we own this content. Why can't we just build the streaming service and everybody comes to us? And that's exactly what they did. So then you've got, you know, all the children's shows. You've got Marvel, Star Wars. And- I was going to say Wakanda Forever. Dude, that's going to yeah, be... They've, they've got I watched the, the trailer best- for that like 20 times. And <laughs> it. It's unbelievable. I'm yeah, pumped for so- so they've got the best content in the world. Content is king, so it's all on Disney. And then they were only charging $7.99 a month. Like I would always see when my credit card would hit. And that is just, they sandbagged that so hard just to accumulate those subscribers. Now they're increasing the price to $10.99. And then they're going to have like the free tier with all the ads and, and everything else where they could easily raise these prices to Netflix prices, you know, in the 20s. And I think about how much my kids watch it. Like that's pretty much all they're ever on they could easily charge, you know, closer to $30 a month. And I think, you know, parents would pay this just because of the content where, you know, it just equates to Disney being this absolute monster. And it's finally on that uptrend as it should be. So as it goes on this uptrend, I was just checking to see is like a dividend stock. So it used to be, and then they pulled it away. It sounds like during COVID. Now they haven't brought that back. I don't believe, but is that something that like what happens when there's dividends added to a stock again? Like, does that, I'd imagine funds then can pour in more, or they want to pour in more? Well, I remember their dividend, it was very small. It wasn't like a three, 4% yielder. It was very insignificant. It was more so like, you know, executives with millions of shares. I feel like that was like, you know, their their bonus every quarter. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I, I think if, the, if they reinstated it, it would be insignificant really. But, you know, they are using that growth to fall in Disney Plus and all these other ventures where, yeah, I don't think investors really care even if it did come back. Got it. We were going to touch on Matterport. Tony, real quickly, I think that more importantly, you were mentioning you didn't know a ton about the company, but it was a great trade to take. I wanted to hear more about like what you were saying with SPACs reporting from 2021 in February to now, took off the trades you were talking about, these big funds now coming back in. So touch yeah. on that because I think that's really interesting. It's basically like you know, you have like a seesaw, right? And like one end of the seesaw goes all the way down. And of course, then the it eventually it bounces back, right? You have this kind of situation going where a bunch of people were long those names and then a bunch of people got short those names. And of course, like you wait a year, right? For your long-term tax. And we saw that like February, 2020 and February, 2021. Is it a coincidence that we like crashed on the same days? No, like it's like that's taxes. And like there is that fiscal mental thought that people have as they're investing. And I know people care so much about like, oh, I don't want to sell this because my cost basis is so good. But there's that kind of situation where it works for different situations like in the upside as well. So you have all these names that are like SPACs, like Matterport and, you know, SMFR, all these things that there are good companies underneath them that are just lumped in because the same people shorting them were the same people doing ARB and the same people who are now getting squeezed out the face because things reverse, right? And like, if you think people who go long get wrecked, people who go short also get wrecked just as bad. Like HY said this on Twitter a hundred times, bear markets take everybody out back. And it does. And it's clear. Like look at FinTwit. 90% of people got taken out back at the beginning. And then 90% of people got taken out back in the second time. And then the 10% is somewhere in between there. And so you're getting that effect that goes to that whole thing we talk about on the pod of regression, Avi. Like I'm not saying it regresses to the same price it was back at the highest, 
but you're getting these like really volatile moves. And like, we'll talk about this later in terms of the overall markets and why, but like yeah. ELDR, basically it starts with the big names, right? You started seeing the Amazons come back. You started seeing the Googles stop falling and stuff. And then you have like, okay, hey, like my account's back up a little bit. Like, let me take a little risk. And then you start seeing it trickle down into the different market caps. And that's just really how it goes. Well, right? yeah. And I think the thing too, with a lot of these specs, they've been, like you mentioned, just been beaten down into a pulp and they probably didn't deserve that valuation. They probably didn't deserve the original valuation at $10 a share, right? But I think what you're starting to see is you just mentioned SMFR, share care as well. Like I liked it when it was at $10. Like, why should I not like it down here at $2, right? And in the past month, it popped 20%. Do I want to pour money into it right now? Hell no. Like, I, I still don't trust it yet. But I think what you're starting to see now with a lot of these SPACs is you see that first, second, third earnings they come out with. Like, after a year or two of earnings, they show that they're the company that they think they are. Now it's, it's not nice. just, you know, spreadsheets and, and all these nice presentations nice, that nice show slides. 100 billion in 2028 and that type of shit. So yeah. it really anyway. depends. <laughs> I could see that too. Like it, it just depends on the company, right? Like, like Matterport was a good example of like at least a semi-decent company. A ton of people liked it on FinTwit. I've, I know what the company does. Like one of my friends used to work there and I like, I enjoy like trades that look good in short term. Like it was basically just an earnings trade. Like I know that that thing got shorted you know, to kingdom come. And I was like, well, what's the risk? What's the pain trade now? Everyone's short this thing is a high short interest. I'll get some leaps for January. Maybe if it beats, like I'll do well. If if not, I don't care because I'm not the kind of idiot that does those like weekly options on earnings. Like it doesn't make sense. Logically, you can, the same premium, the percentage of premium you're paying for on a week is still vast majority of that, the earnings premium. So if you just theorize and you like do one plus one math, you go three and a half months out or you go a couple more weeks out, the difference in that premium, like give or take a few strikes is not much. We talk about this so much, but you can not wait on earnings play weeklies. On weeklies, yeah. Even if it pops 20%, you get sucked into it. Let's move on though. I want to talk about NVGA because that's another one. I think genomics kind of got lumped in or the same time period, maybe the same buyers as you were talking about with some of the SPACs, but like those were popping the same time SPACs were popping and we're kind of seeing it again here, right? Where we saw NVTA just absolutely go nuts. I think it was up like 80, what was it up in a day? From 229 to 863, then settled back into 537, right? So, right. you know, where do you see these genomics? I know we were talking about Big Pharma is going to come in and swoop some of these up. So if they start right. running again, like Pharma doesn't want to pay that much money. The reason why, like you're seeing that these names do better besides everything we just like discussed about like the actual mechanics of the market and so many people are short and then they start taking off their books and covering because this name is up people adjust their portfolios on the downside the same way you do the bonsai on the way up and so that's why you're getting the reverse reflex of it however when you're talking about genomics you look at like xbi last year worst year of all time and we we discussed this on the pod we're like looking at things like do you think healthcare as an industry is going to go away not for a long time, unless everything becomes super, like, I guess, automated in terms of like, you know, managing your health and you get those like cheap prescription generic drugs for like a dollar, two dollars instead of eight hundred dollars. Like that is a long ways away. And, and that's also because of politics. And that's also because of healthcare and the way that the industry is all screwed and lobbyists and little up. And that's not even tin hat. But the tin hat part of it is that obviously the world, this health in the country and around the world, for whatever reason, question mark, question mark in a box is declining ridiculously right so you have so many more people who are sick and have these like new med new issues new diseases this and that the amount of money that's being poured into all these things for research and to grow those companies is huge 
And if you think about, we already know the capacity of what we can do to help the human body and to help us live longer and to help us get rid of diseases and, and, and cure ailments and such now. And so it's not as good as we need it to be. Mm -hmm. And eventually we'll get to this like ascension phase of where human bodies can be like put in a tube and just fixed. And, you know, hopefully that's, I mean, phases of the future, Avi, you could see it. But the only way that that ever can really happen is but putting money. It's like to the core level. Like if you look at it from a first principles perspective, what is the most important thing to fix ever genes, right? Like your genes go into everything else. They determine your health. They determine your predispositions. They determine everything. And so you're getting people realizing that, hey, well, we have a 2,200% increase in hypertension for whatever reason. We have a 600% increase in infertility for whatever reason, for whatever mandated reason. And so you have all these things that are happening and you need a company to come in there and actually do something about it, right? So NVTA got absolutely slaughtered for so long, so many years, and I hated it. I hated on it too. Because all they kept doing was using dilution at the shareholders' expense to buy another company to add to their thing so they can keep trying to get that revenue and get that book in line. And what happened is they got the new CEO, and this new CEO is not an idiot like the last CEO. And the last CEO, all the CEO wanted to do is just keep buying things and diluting. There's better ways to buy things without diluting, my friend, I'll teach you. But now we have like a new CEO who came in is actually doing better things. And they're saying like, okay, we're going to chill with the dilution. We don't need to buy 50 other companies now. And we're not going to be like as bad as the company has been ran in the last previous years. And all this like came out with like semi-decent par earnings. And like for genomics, earnings are hard because it's not necessarily like, like if you look at NVT or NTLA and Beam and CRISPR, those have years before they start making like real consistent money because a lot of their stuff's in discovery and they're researching and this and that. But NVTA and also a better comp, a way better company, SMFR, in my opinion, those are like the ones that'll be making money as those things get done. So, right, like you, you have to get the information for the companies, for the clients to know what diseases to fix and how. I really do believe that pharma is going to come out and just start buying these early on, right? Why not buy them for cheap for what you were saying, where all these issues are right. starting to occur for whatever reason. For whatever reason. They know now to then come up with the next one, right? And a lot of these genomics companies move so quickly, can process this data so right. quickly that they'll be able to help these pharma companies come yeah. up with the solution for the problem they may have caused. You know? Exactly. So to cap off this conversation before we move on to the next training ticker, I will say, you know, for whatever reason, infertility on the rise was one of the topics we talked about. PG. And you saw progeny, PGNY absolutely crushed it. So this is one I've followed since the IPO and even before yeah. the IPO, I followed this for a long time. And I know, Avi, me and you were talking about this, like, you know, infertility is such an issue and becoming an incredibly big issue of late. Yeah. These fertility benefits managers could see quite a surge in demand. So... That's one to keep an eye on. Now it had a massive move, so yeah. careful chasing in this market. But even then, you know, the valuation, the growth, it's profitable. Everything about that looks phenomenal. I think that's one that should be scooped by a larger insurance company because it's one of those you just plug into an organization and it's so easy. I love that you brought that up, Joey, because Progeny is a name that I actually like love to talk about on the pod previously. That's actually one I just like completely forgot about. But I remember when I was looking, they had really good growth and really good fundamentals and profitability. But I, t I totally like could see what you're saying, even about the huge run it had recently, because I like just looked at the chart right now. But the, but that NVTA chart, if you look like, you know, it was in the near 50s range, right? All the way down to $2. That run, as much as it was earnings, that is the quintessence of a beach ball effect. That is what you see when everything gets shorted to kingdom come and like the smallest little inkling of anything can make it 
changed very drastically. And so I'm very much so looking forward to Semaphore's earnings next week. And, and, and the reason is because for whatever reason, Pfizer put $200 million in Semaphore in the, earlier in the year, right about when we started getting information about, you know, what whatever reason started causing in the US. And so you're seeing that like, if you create a problem, there are ways to fix it. And so I find it very unlikely that SEMA 4 will get absolutely murdered on these reports, you know, especially they just bought that new company this year as well, which is like doubling their rev base and helping to projectively increase their gross margins a ton in faster amount of time than 2023. And so like, is that going to be the same thing we talked about of it's been that much time, the shorts are like, all right, I made my money, right? Like it's at a dollar, two dollars, where can I go from here? Am I going to risk reverting all my profit for another 5%, right? Because if you think of the downside, that's like a couple percent gain from the highs if yeah. you're shorting. And so I would be, you know, I'd be remiss to not think that a lot of these smaller bio slash genomic names, which were already very illiquid to start with, don't get a similar run as NVTA to some degree. Yeah. EVFM was another one kind of in that same field. They have a, like a hormone-free contraceptive uh, with the Roe v. Wade stuff. Tony, you did a trade with Peloton, I remember. And we were talking about this on the Olive Invest, the YouTube that we still need to put out. I know we promised last Monday, post that here shortly. So how this all set up was we were all in our group chat and you saw this headline come across where Peloton was slashing at 780 jobs, closing its 86 retail locations. And then they're no longer like having their own employees deliver these bikes to people, you know, in a Peloton van and setting it up. They're expanding I think the rumor was they were going to expand a relationship with XBO Logistics, but that might have just been like an assumption by the CNBC reporter that I was originally reading. But yeah, getting rid of the retail stores, like that was almost unnecessary for this type of product. You know, people know what Peloton do. Um, they don't need, you know, the, these actual stores to go into. It's not like a Lululemon or something like that, where they just happen to also have their mirror products. Um, so you see... They're getting smarter with their with their money. And they even exited, you know, their owned manufacturing and they expanded their relationship with the Taiwanese manufacturer, which I really hope works out for them in the long term. But yeah, they stopped doing things that they didn't need to do. So you see these cost cutting efforts could actually, you know, move this company closer towards profitability that they need to be long term to be a viable investment. But, you know, that was just the fundamental aspect. But then, you know, Tony takes a look and sees that there is a significant trading opportunity. And then he he took action there. It really helps getting another perspective. You can find yourself in an echo chamber all the time if you just talk to yourself. And uh, I don't like Peloton as a company. Like, I'm not long-term investing in it. And I won't be holding it for more than a few days. But, like, the beach ball effect post-earnings and actually good news quote unquote, good news, because like, I've always heard this quote, like you have a barrel of nice wine, you get like one little berry of shit in it, the whole wine tastes bad, right? So I don't like Peloton regardless. I guess don't let one apple spoil the bunch or something like that. That's a much better way to say it. <laughs> wine. I mean, I don't know. I like the wine analogy. Basically, I just like the way that the chart was set up. I mean, the thing came down from so much. You got to understand that like, if you have a tug of war, right? Like you have 80% of the people are short right now pulling back, pulling back, pulling back. And all you need is that little, that little beach ball to change the way that they're sitting. And then it goes to the other side. So you have this tug of war that's going on and all these names that are down 80, 90, 100%. Doesn't mean they're not shit. Most of them are. Does it mean that a lot of them can rip 100, 200, 300% and squeeze your face off? Yes. And that'll only happen as long as the market holds itself. If the market starts dying again, then you're not going to get those opportunities. But like Capelletin squeeze to 15 to 20 and then go right back down? Probably. And I'll never look at it again because it's dead to me.
like Mr. Wonderland says. Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm turning into Mr. Wonderful or, or Avo Locks here. So Axon was one that I was talking about, I think, last episode or the one before. Coming up with earnings. This, to me, is just another one of those themes. What I love is their ARR on their SaaS products. So this is a new product that they released up 41% year on year. So they just crushed it this earnings. And again, I've been saying this for episode after episode. It's inevitable. People are going to, right before midterms, they're going to be in the streets, Roe v. Wade, and that's going to cause a lot more news flow for Axon, in my opinion. So this is one that I just continue. I think they're a very strong company. They're acquiring companies. They have different legs that they're adding. And those legs are working, like we've talked about on other episodes. They just renewed Microsoft Azure partnership for six years. And so this is just a very strong company. I know it's not like a, a beach stock, as I call them, you know, the Microsoft in, in that tier. Now, Axelon's an incredible company. They have quite the products we you know between, you know, the tasers that we all know about and then evidence.com. They continue to have all these bolt-ons. I would like to see them make some more significant acquisitions to help bolster growth. Whether they go after like a magnet forensics out of Canada, Evolve, or even you love Evolve, or you know, like a shot spotter if that's a legit technology that they want to integrate into there. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a great company. It's got impressive growth, and you know, it's it's one that you can't really. I would never bet against. That's for sure. What's a shot spotter, Joey? Is that like a Acon sniper on the roof already saw you? Or? Well, so shot spotter, it's SSTI. It's a small cap. I don't know how big it is. Essentially, what they do is it's like a gunshot detection system. So yeah. they'll have like all these different towers that are really like absorbing these sounds. And there's a specific sound that a gunshot can detect. It can almost like tell police like it was around here. So then they can actually respond to it. So I don't know how legit the technology is. I haven't dug into it too much, but um, I know there's a military application very similar to it that is legitimate. So it's just one of those, like, I would like to see them go out and make a splash if it could actually, you know, add significant growth. And if like a shot spotter has this technology that Axon could then deliver to all of its existing, you know, police departments or cities that they service, that could make it huge. Same with like an Everbridge, which is... Um, like an infrastructure company for critical event management. Like that's another one that you could see Axon acquire and immediately help bolster growth. So there's a lot of opportunity for them out there, especially in this market that, you know, smaller companies aren't getting respect. So maybe they, they get on this acquisition spree too. Yeah. You know what I was thinking? I thought they had something similar. And I got to dig into that one. That one, I, I do want to almost do a deep dive on. They have the automatic cameras will turn on as soon as the taser is pulled out gun is drawn, a shot is... Oh, will out. they? Will they actually or just in certain convenient situations? Yeah, I'm telling you, well, that's the that, that's the trend. I mean, their whole thing is to make the bullet obsolete. So I absolutely love that with the trend of mitigating issues before they arise and to not use bullets if you don't need to, right? It does uh, follow the, the thing where, you know, if you invest in companies that make the world a better place, oh. utilize correctly is the thing. So I don't know if it's ShotSpotter or Axon, but they actually have like this you know, predictive crime system where, you know, it almost says, you know, crimes typically occur in these locations at these times on like these days, report. very much like a minority. I was just going to say that. Gives what me they, yeah. And I thought this was like a joke. I thought it was like an April Fool's, but no, it's legit. And what they do is then they can each either like park an empty patrol car or actually have a patrolman mm -hmm. there because they said even the sight of a police car will deter that activity from occurring. So I thought it was, it was really yeah. cool. But again, it's like, how accurate is it? 
Because then it's like, if something's going to go down on one corner, what? why not just change it to a corner? Yeah, like you're you're, you're, you're yeah. right, Joey. Yeah, I mean, my, my dad used to have like a bunch of cigar stores and jewelry stores and whatever, and he would have fake cameras in there that he would tell people that they're fake cameras, and then like he would catch his employees stealing. Oh, yeah, if you put the fake globes on the ceiling. I've seen those studies. You put the fake globe on the ceiling that's just all black. You can't see the camera in it. It deters activity because people think they're being watched. So Yeah, reverse being the window effect. The last thing there, though, they, they have acts on air. So with acts on air, I think, think about all of these riots that are about to occur. They're going to have drones overall. Oh, yeah. Name who's actually, you know, causing the ruckus. They have camera footage of it. I think that's it's a good they, thing overall. You know, it's they, they got some, a little big brother-esque, but that's <laughs> they took the some slack. Watch. The CEO took some slack in the news because he was saying, you know, the, there are these drones that could, you know, like you know, take out a certain individual. So he was, I don't know if it was like talking about the Uvalde school shooting, but he's like, you know, in cases where the police don't want to enter a situation, they could send these drones in and That's almost like acetate a suspect. And I'm thinking like, that is really cool because you're not putting like a person in harm's way. But then That's I start cool thinking on. like, how would this drone do this? Are we talking like a kamikaze drone that's flying into somebody? Well, they had those robots that go in for bombs right robot. now. Yeah, so Tesla robot. It's going to be I a feel like we need a demo. about that. <laughs> we need a cool demo because if they could do that, and it's like quicker than one of those tiny little robots that are you know going half mile an hour across the room, like I think that's a really cool thing, especially because you know it takes police time to set up and enter a room. Like you could just send a drone in that you don't care if it lives or dies the next day. Like yeah, have at it. I feel like that'd be a cool technology and one that you know I'm sure tasers and everything else got major pushback. Um, you know, all the big innovations always get major pushback in the beginning because they seem unnecessary. Like, think of like, you're going to shoot something that ele electrocutes people? That sounds insane. But now it's like, why wouldn't you tase that person? Crypto and or the internet. I'm more worried about, <laughs> you know, invasive. Uh, like a beach ball. My analogies are fucking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, explain that. <laughs> Before this gets out of hand, do we have I, any more training tickers? The next section of the podcast here where we... Are scouring the internet now. Best of FinTwit questions from the audience. So, at the real Mike D'Souza is asking a question that is on all of our minds. We've been talking about quite a bit. What do we think about SE right now? That's a name that obviously was FinTwit's darling for all of 2020. Right, then 372 down to 54 at its low. We're back up to 88. So, it's still up 445% the past five years, right? So, that's something if you've been holding forever, but not many of us have. Where do you think it's going to go from here? Wow. I was waiting for this question. And I'll reference a few things. I'll reference first, like the beach ball effect, because I could see it very much so happening here. Because if you look at the way that SE went up, right, this just like, like it's really just like a, a straight line, but like a 45 degree angle. And then it went down at like, you know, nearly 180 degree angle. And so if you realize there that like that's clearly as a result of so many sellers, but like a lot of sellers are short sellers. And that SE is also a China name, even though it's not. It's not a China name, but it's lumped into China because of the fact of it being in Singapore and the cross exposure of people investing in those areas. Like people who invest in Asia invest in China and in, in, in SE and in like, New Z like all these different areas that are right around. Right. They'll be investing in all those places. So as China got absolutely decimated, regardless of whether SEs in China or in Singapore, or whatever, if it's on the book in quote unquote China, it's go it was going down. And if you look at any like PDD, KWEB, 
any of those really like big indicators like indicative, like ETFs of China or big growth companies that everyone was very much so backing, those all got slaughtered as well. So I think you can get a similar, obviously dependent on the report, but I do like that they like, uh, we talked about this, I think Joey brought this up on the pod last time that they cut off the spending in India, which I think is a good time considering the economy and the market conditions in the world. But they also have been shorted to kingdom come. And it's given me beach ball effects, been basing for four months, similar to ARK, similar to all the other names that have been doing this. And I just would think that the risk is to the upside. I really, I would, I would think just because like Mealy did the same thing and Mealy was just as worried in everyone's mind of getting wrecked because of FX and SEs in Singapore. So, so here's a huge thing about SE. So, um, you know, besides Celsius, I think SE is like the, the stock that I was most known for back when I would dabble on Fintwit. Um, you know, this is one I always had like this running joke, you know, SE is my entire 401k. And, you know, every two weeks. But that's not a joke, isn't that? It real? still is. It still <laughs> is all SE. That's amazing. And so like, you know, it got up to incredible valuation and it's come all the way back down. But it's one of those, you know, it's just, you know, continue to add to it. It's kind of like the strategy that I would take. So I know this company in and out. I think I originally bought it on the day of its IPO. It was like, you know, I think the IPO was like 14 or 15 bucks is, is what it opened at. So this is one of those companies, it's a three-headed monster now. So, you know, they got the gaming, e-commerce. So it's Garena's Gaming, Shopee e-commerce. And then they, they've always messed with the name, but it's like C-Money and AirPay, whatever they're calling it these days. So the big thing to watch for in this report, and I echo kind of what Tony says, where I think this is an incredible company for the long term. It could be rocky over the next couple months or even like the next year or two, but it's one that I believe in in the long term. But the one major thing you really want to watch for is the Garena unit in this upcoming report. So Garena is the original name that they were going to IPO as. This was Garena. I think the stock timber ticker was going to be like GRNA. And then they changed the name to C Limited, like just before the IPO. And what they were doing there was they didn't want to pigeonhole themselves as being known as one thing. Like we, we want to be seen as something bigger than this. We want to be the three-headed monster, not just the gaming company. So that's when C Limited, you know, it's C, S-E-A, Southeast Asia. Uh, they want to be known as like the regional monster in there. So Garena is their bread and butter. That's how they kind of got started. That was their big moneymaker. That was like the profitable unit that funded the growth of everything else. So Garena allowed them to launch e-commerce, which loses a lot of money a year, and launch into the financial part, which, you know, lost a lot of money a year. And the issue there is, Garena in this most recent quarter, in the first quarter, you know, had a 5% year-over-year decline in quarterly active users and a 23% year-over-year decline in quarterly paying users. So if you continue to see negative growth in the unit that funds the growth of everything else, you could see Shopee start making some adjustments or, or you know, start, start paring back the spending that they're doing to grow so quickly in these other units. So while I love SC for the long term, it's one of those, you have to know what could go wrong to send this stock lower. And it's not like a Mercado Libre where it is an incredibly, like Mercado Libre is incredibly profitable. Profitable, yeah. Grant profitability over the years to come. Like if you look at that bottom line and like the projections, if you go on like Tick or any of the other sites, you see what this company is capable of, it gets incredible. And Dude, this CF, not turn that CFO, I heard an interview with him. I, like, I forget when it was. I think it was like last year, maybe a year and a half ago. I heard him talking for like 45 minutes or so. And man, that, their CFO is a monster. He is a beast. Dude, the earnings here are on Wednesday. So is is this the, the earnings you're expecting here, Joey? Or do you think? So the next year, yeah, Tuesday morning. 
is when they're scheduled to report. And so it's one of those, like, it could go either way. So like I do own SE, which, you know, it's still my entire 401k. And I do have like a, a sizable position in my primary portfolio outside of that. So SE is still a very large percentage of my net worth, but it's not one that I'm going to say is like a no brainer. Like Mercado Libre, I believe like Tony and I, even in like the group chat, we were even saying like, this is an absolute no brainer. Like I, I was really wanting so my- fast and profitability is so impressive and their stranglehold on that Latin American market. There is no, you know, massive competitor like C Limited has what, um, Tokopedia and then one other big competitor. Coupang. No, Coupang, that's... Lazada, Lazada, I believe. Yeah, Lazada, which is uh, the Alibaba company. And so this is another thing where, you know, SE always gets lumped in with the Chinese stocks because Tencent owns such a large position in SE and they've kind of been pairing back that position. So they've always kind of had that like Tencent relationship built up. So, you know, as China got more restrictive on its tech companies, it's one of those where people got scared. Like, what if Tencent unloads this entire stake? And it's just like in the market, then supply and demand comes They in. did that for a reason, right? We talked about that, Tony. We, we're not to cut you off, Joey, but they, they did that for the. We, we, we did talk about that. I honestly don't remember the exact reason. I know we talked about it and it was a good reason. It was for India. The thing about India was that they went and then they stopped by quote unquote, like going into India, all that entails because of like they, they, they know they need to get the profitability. Like they, they've done the grow enough now. And they're not going to get a reflective share price until they get to the profitability. I will say, though, no matter what you think, like the revenues are ridiculous. The growth in revenue, if you look at it where it was like in 2020 to 2019, I mean, this is a different beast and it's the same price. And so like, that's another thing. And right now, people are just wondering, hey, when does that EBITDA actually start getting positive, right? Because they're projected to lose $2 billion this year. I'll tell you what, if they don't lose $2 billion this year, it's going to be a very like beach ball effect. And then they're projected to lose $800 mil next year but make 700 mil the following year, all while their revenues are slated to grow 30 to 20, 25 to 30% along that. And already $13 billion projected for this year. And the company is only trading at a $49 billion market cap. So any way you want to slice this, in my thoughts of like the fact that there's so many short sellers in this name already, clearly just an abundant amount. China also has a beach ball effect because once the US is fine, you can think of the US as the Amazon and the Google of the world. Because once people start making money back there, then they can go back into other international places. And so it's all just a cycle. That's why I said, like, we'll talk about this in a second, when housing bottoms will sell stocks. And it's like, these things all work in this whole little like sinusoidal cyclical loop. And it's kind of crazy. But I do think that the risk is to the upside only because of what you've seen in every other name. Even if it's not a good report, it's been popping as a result of like the beach ball effect. Real quick, I know where you said gas at the pump we wanted to touch on, and I know gas has come down, everyone's clapping. It's like that meme we see with the markets crashing, it goes up like 5%, everyone's cheering again. And the other thing I do want to talk about too, I want to look under the hood a little bit here with the employment numbers, because everyone came out, was so excited that employment was up. But for those that like took a look under the hood, the majority, the vast majority of that was part-time labor. I definitely want to hear your guys' take on that. And should people be more aware of what's actually happening under the hood than just kind of reading the headlines as I'm guilty of? I don't think I could have said it more times on this podcast than every piece of data you ever get is so coerced and fake. Like numbers only matter in context, then they become data. Otherwise, it's just numbers and it doesn't mean anything. And so a lot of the time, like you get very miscontextualized numbers. And so you have like the economy right now looking at this we have great employment, right? But if people are getting part-time jobs, like you're bringing down the average of income and that's bringing on GDP, 
And that lends also into the whole, like how many small businesses were made? What are the costs to make small businesses in the US, especially if you're just like starting it in a recession, right? And, and supply chain constraints. So the economy as it is, like the American average middle income worker family, kind of that whole thing, like the, the line that people judge it on is feeling very bad right now. And it's very unfortunate, just like in, in all the numbers that come out, because you would think that we're doing fine, right? But like, and you would think like, yeah, inflation, finally, like you, you mentioned that Avi came down recently, like it was at 9.1, it came under expectations now under 8.5. So like, those are not bad moves. And, and, you know, we discussed that a lot on the pod on that being because commodities drop, right? And there was the lag, then housing started to come down, the mortgage rates started to come down. That was a lag. Everything, like, think about the guy, whoever it is pumping oil from the middle of, you know, the Gulf of Mexico right now. How long did it take from the oil from there to get to your pump? There is a lag. And the Fed will wait on that data to show because of the lag and then act after accordingly. Right? So people are expecting the Fed put to come before the data. It's not ever going to be a Fed put, my friends. It's always a data put. That's this, the one. Is, this is some of the stuff we talk about, like the movie Wag the Dog, right? So I'm pulling up this tweet by EST Vox Populi. So I'm, I'm hoping these numbers are correct. But the actual numbers are here. Full-time employment went down 71,000. Part-time's up 384,000. Multiple jobs is 92,000. This is what I'm talking about where like they can manipulate into the midterms where Biden can go ahead and say, hey, this economy is not such a crazy disaster. Look, employment numbers are up. Look, the stock market's starting to be up. I know you say it's not midterms, but I just see this being part of the puppeteering what the market is. Get Avi, I see where you're getting. I think that you actually do like it, you're not wrong, but I think it's just the backwards loop. Like I think that people predict this stuff because the people who have the info can see the data that give us the data have it before we have it, right? So they make their political decisions based off of it to assume what's going to happen in the future. That's what I actually think happens. But I think that like the correlation and causation is so close because the timings are like they have the insider info on what's going on all the time in the world. So. I mean, you just look at Nancy. I I, I trimmed my NVIDIA position. Dude, how is she allowed to trade like that? I mean, she's a she's slinging. If you just watch politicians, you can do very well in the market. They, the the I tweeted this out actually. I think it was like two weeks ago now. But the Colorado senator was literally said on camera. He's like, "Well, I'm not going to really trade any uh, stocks off of this one because I don't know if it's clear yet." And so he pretty much admitted to like insider trading. But anyways, Joey, so it all boils down to. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's bring this in because what it all boils down to is when you see these numbers and they they look great, especially going into a very big political set like midterms, you really got to look at the numbers yourself because I saw the unemployment numbers come through and they like blew past expectations. I was like, wow, this is impressive. Then I found their report click through and I was like, wow, this is terrible. Like, I don't know about you, but part time work probably doesn't pay all the bills that you need to pay. I even look at like wage growth, which you can look at all the old reports. And, you know, if you at your job get a 3% raise this year, like you usually would think that's good. But with inflation the way it is, like you're going to lose more money this year than you did last year. And you're going to lose more money next year than you did this year. Like you got to look at it through the right lens. So the numbers are always going to look better than you really like than they really are. Especially like, you know, if someone tries to change the definition of what a recession is, you know, a week before some data comes out saying, hey, by the way, we're in a recession. Like, you have to just be smarter than, than they think you are. 
Yeah, Joe, if you look like you see that what you were saying about part-time workers, like that's a 20 to 25 hour a week kind of job. And, you know, full-time is 40 hours, 45, 50, maybe overtime, whatever, but let's call it 25 for part-time and call it $15 minimum wage. That's, you know, that's a hundred hours a month. That's hundred times 15, right? That's, it's not going to be that much, 1500. And like average rent in the U.S. is 2K, right? 1500 after taxes, you get a, you get like a K, maybe 1200, 1100. So you add it all up, you have to work two part-time jobs, right? And then you get 3000 after taxes, let's call it 2K and you can pay your rent. And so that's why the part-time jobs are going up. Everything's so inflated, minimum wage is up, but like, it's not up like a box of Cheerios or milk. The real wage growth, because I was looking at inflation versus how much people yeah. went up like 6%, inflation's it's up starting to get better. It's starting to get better, but once again, like better, absolutely yes. In relative like to where it should be, it's like 30, 40 years behind. Like we are so far off from where houses. If you want to see a shocking chart, look at the median income opposed to the median home price. So that's one of the most shocking statistics I've seen. So it used to be about four times. So yeah, the average person made 50 grand, the house cost them 200,000. And I remember the first house I bought back in 2015, it was like 189,900 bucks. And that was almost pricey for the neighborhood. And I look back at that house. I sold it years ago to Open Door, I think 2018. But that house now is like $440,000. So it's insane to think like if someone making 50,000 is now trying to acquire that house. So now I saw, you know, the median income is X and it's the median home price is about 12 to 13 times the median income. So as wages have not grown all that much, but inflation has run rampant, especially when it comes to real estate, like, Homes are more unaffordable than ever. And then you look at, well, then the, the rental market and rental rates just continue to surge. And that's, it's almost pricing out renters. Like Tony, you've told us about the incredible, you know, time you've had finding a, a place to get an apartment. Yeah. It's, it's insane what's going on. And then, yeah, you see these uh, part-time work. So I, I did the math. So if you have, are making 15 bucks an hour at 25 bucks before taxes, 375 bucks, like, we literally just went school shopping this morning at like Old Navy. Uh, then my wife had to go into Ulta and then we like went into REI. And I'm pretty sure we spent well over that just preparing for school. So it's incredible to think like if someone even piecing two of those together, then after taxes are trying to make ends meet, not to mention You're trying to get rent. mortgage. Like it's you incredible. The average rent. Yeah. Let's say you work two part-time jobs, like $15 minimum wage an hour. It's, it's yeah. The country's we need like real wages need to come up a lot more and prices need to come down. But wait, the issue, Joey, and I want to know your thoughts on this because it's something I've been pondering about. Maybe you can pontificate on it. What is going to happen now that the prices have come up? Will they come down? And if so, for what? And if not, for what? So that's a big thing. So if you've seen, uh, you could look up any of the, the history of like price increases on consumer staples. As soon as companies raise them, you know, it's very rare that those prices come back down because people will, you know, get used to paying a certain price for something. And then, so like one thing I would say is like eggs around me. I remember, I don't know if like there's egg farmers close by in like Virginia, but you know, it's like 89 cents for 18 eggs. And I thought that's insane. Now it's like 2.99. And then if I go to like Wegmans, I think it's like two 18 packs for nine bucks or something like that. So I'm doing the math. I'm thinking, wow, this has come up significantly. So yeah, they came up that quick. But then if you're a store, if you're the people like picking those prices, they're like, 
Well, if these come down and I could sell it again at 89 cents, why would I? Maybe I bring it down to, you know, bring it down like 50 cents, but still it's significantly higher right. than, than it used to be. So, and dude, that, that is the bullwhip, Joey. Like, that's literally what happens. It's like people along the way to supply chain, like they're in different places with the amount of revenue and amount of like inventory they have and what they've sold and the prices that they can get to their consumers for the next person down the line that it gets so jumbled along the way and the effects get bigger down the road. It's like a game of telephone, right? Like I could say like, hello, Avi, after 100 people, it's going to say absolutely something completely different. So it's 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 really I love that game, game, by the way. Oh yeah, I would always say the most absurd things. <laughs> you wanted to pontificate on that, on? I did. There you go. We have to have a word of the day and somehow work it in every single time. So Joey and Tony, you guys were having this adorable conversation. We always talk about mindset being so important, not to get too high, not to get too low. Uh, and you and Joey were having this really adorable conversation pre-show where you're talking about how important it is to have a strong mind and not fall in love with specific stocks, not read too much into the news as we were just talking about. So Tony, I'll let you uh, pontificate here a little bit on what you think about mindset and the importance. Nice. I like that. That was a good Leo. Um, so I just got to tell you that the best thing, one of the best things I've ever heard in just the money game, right? Because I like you know, a lot of people like to just really like exemplify what investing and all this crap really is. It's a money game. I mean, when you boil it down, it's how much money are you bringing home at the end of the day? Because it's all that matters on, on your Maslow needs. Like once you get to a certain point, it doesn't matter. But like Joey told me, when you get to that point, you got to not mess it up. And I did not do the best job of that because it's like the market's been ridiculous. And it's just like experience and a lot of things. But I think that, you know, you do a better job of that every time you're in a good spot. And I really just like, I appreciate that Joey shared that with me a long time ago. I didn't fully get it at the time. I 100% get it now. But yeah, Joey, what did, you, what did you tell me? Well, no, so I've always said, you know, I, I echo a lot of even what I've learned from Warren Buffett quotes over long term. Like, you know, we talked about the whole, which isn't a Warren Buffett quote, but is in a general investing quote, but the, the KISS method, you know, keep it simple, stupid. And then, you know, we always talk about, you know, when the tide goes out, you see you swimming naked, those type of things and different of those. But, you know, I've always heard this term, you know, get rich once, then just don't mess it up. Now, you know, none of us are rich um, by any means, but, you know, you get the gist of what that means is if you get in a very good place financially, why would you continue to take the risk that you took to get where you are? So, you know, early in life, you can take some flyers. You can buy your Jumias, your, um, you know, small caps that you think could rip and, you know, generate significant wealth. But when you get to a certain point, you don't need to take those risks anymore. Yeah, you can have a small portion to it, but it doesn't need to be your whole, whole portfolio. So you can go from all your small caps. If one of them hits, it you know it soars. Then you diversify into all the blue chips and, and you conserve where you got. So I think a lot of people in that 2020, 2021 run-up saw their net worth reach levels they never thought would get there. But then you know the greed mindset or just the everything goes up market mindset stays and you think, well, why won't this stock, you know, that, that was 20 times sales, why can't it be 40 times sales like everything else? And this time is different always. That's one thing I heard a lot, you know, everybody comparing in, in like 2021 to the dot-com bubble. Well, this time's different. I think that's what really alarmed me is once I started hearing a lot of people say this time's different, that I was like, oh, crap. You know, I kind of had that mindset where, you know, multiples can continue to 
to expand, but everybody's saying it that I almost got hesitant when it came to certain things. And that's where I started moving away from like, you know, the higher multiple software names into names where I could wrap my head around the valuations. And I still got scouts because, you know, I'm always fully vested and I got absolutely annihilated and I'm still down significantly. But it's one of those where my risk profile in my holdings were aligned with what I need to be financially. Because it's not just me where I can always, you know, fend for myself type thing. Like I've got a wife, I've got three kids, you know, I've got a lot of responsibilities that I can't be trying to take some weekly lotto options every single day. Like I am much more conservative when it comes to that. So yeah, I'll be in the Disney's, the Amazon's, the Google's, and I'm going to pass on some tiny software company that everybody's talking about. I was never on the upstart train when it went from, you know, 40 to 400. Yes. As much as I wanted to trade that on the way up, like I wasn't on that train and then it crashes back down to earth. So it's one of those where it would have been awesome to be on the ride, but it would have been quite crappy to be on the way down. So that's all I ever mean by that. You know, if you get to a, a certain financial position, you don't have to continue to take the risks that it took for you to get to that spot. It's always adjust accordingly. So you don't have to go back to, you know, that, that insane grind that you had in the early days. Just real quick question on that. Tony's, you know, 25, we're in much different spaces, right? You, I'm planning for a family. You have a family currently. It's like, you can trade different. You definitely invest differently. You know, my parents are invested in like water, you know, like, and, and they're looking for like 2% gains, but they have a lot more money on that 2%, right? And so that changes the game, of course, as well. Question though, so you do find some diamonds in the rough though, Joey. So I'm just thinking here, yeah, you're talking about the strong names and we always talk the bonsai. So those are like the core, the base of your portfolio. But how do you go about the Celsius of the world? Do you put 5% in or is there a percentage that you will quote unquote gamble with for some of those higher risk rewards? So that has changed with the economic times. So I would say, you know, like the 2019, 2020, even early 2021, it might've been like, you know, 15% of my portfolio could be these diamond in the right rough is a, a perfect way to put it because it wasn't like an absolute lotto. It were like incredibly strong companies that I thought could perform a long term, regardless of the market cap. And yes, they, they could be small caps. But today, I would say it's it's less than 5%. Like there are no significant, I think like, yeah, like a Celsius back in 2020 was seen as like a highly speculative company, market cap under a billion, like all that stuff. And it has worked out significantly. But there aren't many companies that fit that profile today. And I mean, if you have some of those, tweet it out to us and, and we'll take a look. But, but yeah, in these more uncertain economic times and you know, money's no longer free, so margin trading isn't all that smart that, yeah, it's it's adjusted. But, you know, if we get to the point in 2023 where rate cuts are coming in, say QE were to kick off and all that, then the game would change. And, you know, that number might increase to, say, 10 12%. But I don't foresee a time where I'd ever have, you know, like 20 25% in these strike-it-rich, quote-unquote. All right, Tony, I know we got to wrap it up here. Coming back to this tweet here, because you did call the bottom. Now, as I talked about, you know, you're talking a little bit of Tony Tops here. So at Shiloh underscore 15, Scott's Tots Fund is saying bear market versus confirmed bottom. Where do you think we're at right now? I know you gave the number of yeah. 4340 areas, a focus point. 
I want people to know too, I didn't call the bottom. The data called the bottom and then the sentiment that you guys talked about on Fintwood gave the bottom. Like, I want that to be like the primary focus. It was not because I was like, ooh, let me look random position. For, like the charts lined up beautifully, sure. And it was almost like it was orchestrated by algorithms, which maybe. But I want to also say that like the complete euphoric sentiment that the bears were throwing all around when you could see that like tangibly certain things were getting better. Right. And I think we have to like really understand that thinking about something being good or bad is so object is so subjective that it's a stupid word to describe it. Like, is it better or worse than it was is the way to think about it. And so like, you look at every single piece of news getting terrible. We listed so many different pieces. We're like, okay, even the people at the gas pump are now feeling a tiny bit better, a tiny bit better, right? It was terrible, terrible. And it's a tiny bit better. You look at the mortgage rates, they were terrible, terrible, terrible. And it's a tiny bit better. And you look at inflation, even though, and the jobs, even though it's all crap, right. you're going to believe yeah. it because that's the headline and it's a little bit better. And everyone was thinking that it's going to get way worse. Where's the, where's the difference here? Where's the discrepancy? And that's the only reason we squeeze so aggressively and the pain is still to the upside. Like you look at Twitter polls right now, you've got 60, 70, 80% of people saying that this is how many people think that it's just a bear market rally. I saw this tweet that HY was talking about and he's completely right. Like this will stop when that reverts. And I could see that definitely happening because we're really sentiment trading at this point. So conditions and in, in, in macro are worse in some places, but better in the places where we've been really looking. Is that a coincidence? No, that's orchestration by the government, but it is what it is. And I, I do want to touch on this like thing that I, I guess we should really just talk about in a second. I'm run up, you just admitted to it, but thank you. Keep going. I want to hear the story of the Chinese farmer. Yeah. Okay. So before I get into that, I just want to talk about like market levels. We talked about two things last week and about two scenarios, 41.92 and down. We got to like 41.87 and then we dropped 100. Okay. That was scenario one. Very rarely do two of my scenario potentials happen. And so both happened in this time. It was just one came before the other. So we had the scenario one happened, faked everyone out. And then we got even higher squeeze to 42.78 at the close, 42.80 or so. Right. And that was the next, we're going to 40, 40, 340, 4400, 4380 range, like around there as the next squeeze, right? And it's kind of weird. Things are just really hitting fibs right now, but it's a pretty accurate like line. You can see where things are basing and stalling. So that's kind of where I'm thinking, like I think we might squeeze a little bit, but I want to also reiterate that the euphoria that bulls are feeling now, it's not really prominent on FinTwit. And you're only seeing bare capitulation. And it's not that bad because a lot of people are not explaining, but like I don't think that by no means is everything happy sunshine and rainbows. Like this is where I'm taking these aggressive moves as opportunities to get cash in order to seize better opportunities in the future. I'm not 100% invested. I am not 100% bullish. I just said that was clearly going to go up for a while and now it can do whatever it wants to do. I don't care. I've made my money and I'm putting it to the side. And that's why we discussed like, you know, pay your debt, those kind of situations. Like you never know. It could definitely go back to where it was. I don't think so, but it could. Do the Chinese farmer story and then let's wrap it up. I know we got some earnings to talk about real quickly before we end it. There, once upon a time, there's a Chinese farmer whose horse ran away. So that night, all the neighbors came to his house to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, your horse ran away. Um, and this is so unfortunate, whatever. And the Chinese farmer goes, maybe. And then the next day, the horse comes back, you know, bringing some other buddies, some wild horses. And the evening, everyone came back and they're like, oh, isn't that great? What a, what a cool turn of events. You now have eight horses. Farmer says, maybe. Next day, son tried to break in one of the horses that's wild, you know, get really, you know, close with him, make it start training. And then he broke his leg because the horse was wild. And then, of course, neighbors say, oh, man, that's so bad. That sucks. Really unfortunate. The farmer says, maybe. 
Then the next day, the conscription officers come around to conscript people to go into the army because there's a war going on. And then they rejected his son because he had a broken leg. And again, the neighbors came around. They're like, oh, man, isn't that great? He doesn't have to go to war. And again, he said, maybe. And the point is, you never know what the next thing is going to happen after something that just happened will be, whether it's good or bad. So you never know. It's oh, maybe. So, you know, like I heard this thing where it's like, oh, it's really good to get screwed when you're really young in life because it'll teach you all your lessons for finance or money or whatever it is all the same everything's pretty much just the same different energy wavelengths but like that's really the way that i think the world is is going so like you you look at the market going up you're like oh that's great well the answer is actually maybe because that euphoria that brought you up could be the same thing that brings you back down just as fast and, and vice versa for what already happened in the bottom to the local bottom and so i think that those are just like really cool stories i like to keep on and uh i have a quote at the end i'll, I'll end this whole thing with you know, I actually first heard that that maybe story from Dan Bilzerian. I heard him on a podcast. No, it's really fun, Joey. I did too. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was phenomenal. But yeah, so I think one thing I kind of want to add to what Tony said is I feel like a lot of people have been educated on the market since 2020 because, you know, a lot of people didn't get to to feel the euphoria of the everything goes up market. So I think people having that and then having it ripped away so quickly now everybody's probably got the right mindset where, you know, on the way up, I'm going to be smarter. You know, if multiples expand so quickly. Next time, I'm not going to make the same mistake. And it's almost like having that rug ripped out from under them might be one of the best things that ever happened to them. Kind of like, yeah, getting kicked by a horse. It could end up being great that you saw those losses, that you saw your wealth get so high and then evaporate. So then you don't make that mistake next time around because there will be a next time. We There's always a next and that time is not different. That time is not going to be different, folks. Like, there's going to be another one, and it's not different. Every time you say it, and keep doing. You know, we keep doing it, but we get smarter every time. I think, and and I always say, you win or you learn in life. And so, on those losses, like you're saying, Joey, to take those as learnings versus just feeling them as pure losses. And I think the the biggest thing I want people to know is the number that you hit, say in uh, August 2021, before everything you know, went, went battery, maybe it was February, 2021 was your peak, whatever that number was, you know, dollar wise, do not get stuck on that because you might not see that for another 10 years. So true. Like, multiples got so out of hand that your portfolio might've hit a level that it does not hit for, you know, like a decade. So if you double from here and you're still down 50%, you know, just pick a new number, almost like try to reset your mind and think, I'm doing pretty damn good still. And if I get to this level, like I'm going to be incredibly happy. It could be 50% from where you were before. But, you know, there's a lot of companies, I think Cisco comes to mind, you know, they they hit these levels during the dot-com bubble that then as that burst, they didn't hit that again for, you know, 10, 20 years after that. And Amazon so, and and all the babies. Yeah. So just, you know, adjust your mindset accordingly and don't get don't get stuck on where you were before but where you are now and then where you could be in the future. And it's like, you know, be smarter this time around and learn from getting that kick. And, and you know, let's not do it again. Let's get into earnings real quick to wrap things up. And then we'll kick it to you, Tony, to wrap things up fully here for the week. Monday, nothing that important. Tuesday, we talked about SE being a big one. Global E as well reports on Tuesday. Wednesday, we have Target, Lowe's, TJX, and Cisco, which you just touched on. Thursday, we got Kohl's, Ross Stores, Bill.com, Estee Lauder, and Tapestry. 
Friday, we got John Deere and Foot Locker. So a lot of retail this week. Not sure if you want to touch on that, Joey, before we kick it to Tony or if Tony is ready to wrap it up. I, I am very interested to see what retail says. Um, most interested in what Target has to say because, you know, Target, they've had two different releases that kind of brought down all of retail before. And I know Walmart kind of tacked onto that. So I think Target is the most important report this week when it comes to the retail sector because they have so much insight on that. And then I am very interested to see what John Deere has to say on Friday since they are like the pulse of agriculture. There, There's a lot of different issues going on across that industry that I'm very interested to see what they have to say. But we'll send it over to Tony. I see. I saw Dillard's exploded. My mom actually, like, she started trading a lot. My mom showed me that Dillard's has been ripping, like it had like a 50-point move on earnings. So I, I definitely am going to be taking a look at those before earnings just to see uh, if any beach yeah, ball. TJX, too. I mean, I think some of those, as people are tighter with their wallets, right? Are they going to start going to more and more of these oh, yeah. discounted type stores? Dude, I got to be, I got to think like Walmart is going to do much better this year than than people are thinking. But uh, I want to wrap this up with just like, I want to pose you guys a, a comment, honestly. It's not a question, but I want you to think like the color blue that I see is not the same color blue that you see or Avi or Joey sees. And so just like the preface that, that's the lens I want you to listen to this through. But every human being relies on and is bounded by his or her knowledge and experience to live. And that is what we all call reality with big quotes around the word reality. But knowledge and experience are ambiguous. And then, you know, your reality can become an illusion. So is it not possible to think that all human beings are living in their own assumptions? And when you really kind of break that down and you think about it also, that's obviously Itachi Uchiha, like the goat. But when you break that down and you really think about what it is, it's like the way that you look at the market, the way that everyone else on FinTwit and The Economist and the ones writing the headlines and everyone looks at the market, everyone's living in their own assumptions. And so it's really fucking important to think for yourself. So that's all I have to say for you. Honestly, the best thing you can do is to think for yourself and learn. Listen to people who are better. Listen to people who are better than me and Joey and Avi and everyone and us and everyone. And But most importantly, listen to yourself because the only assumptions that matter are your own. We got to put beach chair as the outro for this one. With that being said, founders, have a great week. And we'll be back next week for another edition of I know you like that quote, Joey. That's a fire quote for the market. That's a big move. Yeah. play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm about it, about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few accounting. Sock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in Brickle with the try. Shawty sliding, she wants sushi. She want eel sauce for the rice. I just peel off with the light. Took her heels off for the ride. Don't say real talk, it's a lie. I just put a dream to me, gunshot sent to me, let me home. I just hope I'm living right, comments got me feeling like, Kali got you praying for me. See, I got demons in my past, so I got daughters on the way. If the prophecy's correct, then the child should have to pay for the sins of the father. So I bought her my tomorrow's against my yesterdays and hope she'll be okay. And when I'm no longer here to shade her face from the glare, I give up my shiver carols for her.